CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of To Every Man and Answers. Good to be back and good to be with all of you. Looking forward to answering some questions today with you. And so if you've got a question you'd like to ask us, that number to call again. we got some lines open, 8888-ASK-CSN, as we take this time aside every weekday afternoon to answer questions about the Bible from the Bible, look at a biblical worldview of everything that's going on, even what we hear in church on Sunday or Saturday or whenever you get together. Is it even in the Bible at all? So if you've got a question again, 8888-ASK-CSN. Joining me today, special guest, featured CSN speaker on the weekend times here. We have with us Scott Parker from Festus, Missouri, right by St. Louis. Hi, and welcome, Scott. Hello, Mike. It's great to have you back and good to be with you today. Look forward to being with you and answering mm-hmm. some questions with you and so many things going on in the world. Our latest uh uh, input from what's going on in Israel is that Israel is completely in control now of the Gaza Strip. Uh, they're closing in on the hospital where down below is where Hamas's headquarters were. Now, why, you know, if these are brave freedom fighters, would you put your uh, base of operations in the basement of a hospital or in schools or where children are playing? I don't know, but that's what they do, and that's what they did. And so Israel's closing in on them. And uh, what's your take on that, Scott? Boy, crazy things in the world. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's just amazing, Mike, how the amazing thing to me is all the people, especially here in our country and around the world, that are having all these pro-Palestinian protests and all of this, when you can see, you can any any logical thinking person can see when they have the right information uh, how evil and demonic Hamas and their agenda is. The, the the agenda is not for land. The agenda is to get rid of the nation of Israel, and it's amazing how Hamas doesn't care about the Arabs or the Palestinian people, uh, so to speak, that are in Gaza and these other areas because. They're using them as human shields. They're setting up their base in hospitals where they basically just daring Israel to, to, you know, to bomb and shoot at them. Uh, it's just amazing. And to see all of that. Um, and, and then, you know, for our government to step in and to want to tell Israel, Hey, let's, let's have a ceasefire and all these people calling for a ceasefire. You know, what Israel has done now, they needed to do. And honestly, they, they didn't really need our, they didn't need our permission or anyone's permission. Um, you know, every nation being a sovereign nation should have the right to protect themselves and especially the nation of Israel because of how they have, you know, that one little strip of land already, um, has been so reduced down with the Gaza Strip and the so-called West Bank, uh, with, you know, Palestinian government and terrorist organizations on each side of them. And to say that they can't protect themselves and then for their enemies to set up a situation to where, you know, if if they took the bait, then it would just be more propaganda of how, how barbaric Israel is when it's actually just the opposite. 
So I think, Mike, this is why our prayers are important. I think this is why we need to pray for the nation of Israel, pray for wisdom for their government leaders, their military leaders, so that they can get the job done. And, you know, it's, it's so gracious of Israel, you know, whenever they do, whenever they do bomb or they do attack, they let the people know up front, Hey, here's what we're going to do to give them a chance to get out. But, but it's evil, just evil and demonic and cruel men, uh, that would, uh, that would use civilians to protect Babies, themselves. Children. Cowards, absolute cowards. Yes. You know, uh, again, uh, I think this side of the rapture for all of us, I think that's why our prayers are important. Mm-hmm. The Bible says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We want we want to do that. Um, once we're in heaven, once the Lord takes his church home, uh, then I, I believe the world's going to get what it always wanted, a world without God. And the Bible says it's not going to be a fit place to live. So until that time comes, we want to be salt. We want to be light. We want to let our light shine. And so many people around us are wondering what's going on. And again, as I watch the American news networks, primarily the alphabet networks. Uh, I think OAN, uh, One America News, I think Newsmax, and and usually Fox is pretty honest. Um, but uh, when you get into the uh, American news, uh, um, it, it, it's just pure propaganda from the from the dark side. I have never seen anything so bad. I listened to one of our secretaries uh, of state talk about the border crisis as an example. And his remark was, well, we have a broken immigration system. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There is nothing wrong with our immigration system in our country. It is the federal government's complete willful rejection of enforcing the law is where the problem is. And when he was asked, well, what are three things you would do to fix the border? He said, well, uh, that was all described in Joe Biden's speech. And he said, well, okay, you're ahead of this department. What are three things that would fix it? He refused to answer. You see, they want America destroyed. And uh, we have to understand that you're not just dealing with a political party here. You're dealing with a pervasive underground movement to collapse America financially, uh, within our own borders. Remember, Rome was never conquered. Its borders were overran. Sound familiar? Well, you see, these people know how to destroy a nation. And the first thing you do, again, is cause a nation not to be commonly unified. If you've heard the the slogan sold by our government, diversity is our strength. That is another lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> yeah. Unity is what causes a nation to be strong. The United States of America— United we stand, divided we fall. Diversity is our strength. Well, whatever loon came up with that, we certainly need to pray for because they're propagandizing America to believe things that aren't true. Once you destroy the home, once you destroy the unity of a country, they're an easy target. And I believe this is what they're doing. Of course, America, almost $35, $37 trillion in debt now. Uh, we cannot sustain this. Uh, and so as we, as we punch into, uh, uh, this, this whole, uh, overthrow of America that is being forced upon all of us and we see it. Um, you know, you think of all the people that you've got your 401ks and your savings accounts and things. 
Well, as inflation eats away everything, the worst inflation since 1948, um, this could have been prevented, but it's on purpose to do this to America. And uh, we need to pray that as long as we're here, that God will use all of us to let our light shine, to be about our Father's business, to not buy into the lie of the alphabet networks, because, Mm -hmm. friends, honest, I'm telling you from my heart, they are lying to the American people. They're distorting the truth. They are propagandizing everything just as uh, they— they the one of the things they're after right now, you've all seen it, is going after the First Amendment, not the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms. The First Amendment is the freedom of speech. Why? The only speech they want is their speech. And any speech that they don't want, they call hate speech. Well, I'm sure when our forefathers went and stood up against the King of England, I'm sure that would have been considered hate speech. But interesting, our forefathers put that in there so we could actually say the king is a fink. Well, the thing is, is that when we look at this today, we're seeing they don't want the other side being told, only their side. Again, I believe it's so important. Let your light shine. Have an answer to every person that you can stand in your faith in these days that we live. 8888. Ask CSN is the number to call. If you got a question today, we're going to go to Bob, Roswell, New Mexico. Hi and welcome. Hi, pastors. How are you today? Good. How may we help? Uh, I was speaking with a Jehovah's Witness a few days ago, and we were talking about soul sleep and life after death. And I mentioned to him that he should read um, Rich Man and Lazarus. And um, he uh, he said for me to, did I ever hear of Ecclesiastes 9.5, where um, he says, the dead know nothing of this life. Could you please explain that to me? Well, Ecclesiastes is, is an interesting uh, book because, again, it's so Jewish. Uh, but the thing is, this much of Ecclesiastes is written— from a person that is void of godly understanding. There's a lot of things in Ecclesiastes that, interestingly enough, if you read them, you'd say, well, this is really, uh, this doesn't represent Christianity at all. Well, that's true, because a lot of it is written from a non-born-again experience. Um, uh, when when you see, there, there are a lot of things like that in this book. But that's not the only place you could have taken. When uh, Jesus prayed for Jarius's daughter after she had been dead, it says her spirit returned to her. It does not say her spirit woke up within her. We also know Paul says to be absent from the bodies, present with the Lord. We also know that uh, in the Old Testament, 1 Kings, where Elijah prayed for the little boy, again, even in the Old Testament, it says, his spirit returned to him. When King David's little boy died uh, in that relationship that he had with Bathsheba, he came down after the boy had died, and he had cleaned himself up. He was dressed. They said, we don't get it. When he was sick, you would mope. You wouldn't eat anything. You were in a terrible mood. Now that he's dead, you, you, you're acting normal again. And, and David said, I, uh, he said, he can't come back to me, but I will go to him. 
He didn't say, I will sleep like he's asleep. All the way through the Bible, you find this idea of soul sleep completely bogus. And so you have to understand that these people cleverly have gone through and omitted all the verses, or in the New World Version, the Jehovah's Witness Bible, deliberately changed what the Word of God says to suit their own belief. And to prove the point and how much worse it even gets, uh, they completely rewrote the New World Version, the Jehovah's Witness Bible, in 2013 with 10% less words than the 2012 version. Boy, that's really good that they can willy-nilly just go through and start eliminating verses. Well, it's funny, when Jesus said we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, where did this group of people get off deliberately changing God's word, distorting God's word to suit their own belief? And that's not the only place of go where we go to uh, understand that concerning the deity of Christ, that according to the Jehovah's Witnesses, he's Michael the Archangel. The Bible says he's God. In John 8, 59, after Jesus said he was the I am, they picked up stones to stone him. If you read that in a New World Translation, that, that verses um, 857, 858, and 859 in, in a New World Translation, it doesn't even make any sense. Because the reason they picked up stones to stone him in John 8, 59 is because he was claiming to be God in John 8, 58. That was a capital offense. That is why they picked up the stones. But it is all wonky in the New World Version. They had to try to doctor it up the best they could, change it the best they could without being too obvious. Well, it's pretty obvious what they did. But when it comes to our spirit departing when we die— I think that's very clear. And to close, to there's, uh, well, go ahead, Scott. And I'll, I'll I'll close. Go ahead. No, Mike, I totally agree with you 100. percent Here's here's what's interesting, Bob. When it comes to the Book of Ecclesiastes, never use the Book of Ecclesiastes to establish theology and what you believe about theology, um, because again, as Mike said earlier. The perspective that Solomon is writing from there is the perspective of somebody who who they believe their whole life only consists of what is here on the earth. You got to remember Solomon, God gave him great wisdom, and because Solomon asked for wisdom, God gave him more wisdom than anyone in the world at that time. But because he didn't ask for riches and all this other stuff, God gave it to him. Well, that was that end up being uh, Solomon's downfall. And what happened was he multiplied wives when the Lord didn't told him not to do that as a king. And then also in multiplying the wives, what he did is he, he led the nation of Israel into idolatry, into serious idolatry by trying to satisfy his pagan wives. So Solomon got to a point in his life where he was so consumed with all that he had. And this world that when he writes Ecclesiastes, he writes it, as Mike said earlier, as a person who literally is without God and without any eternal perspective. Or, or backslidden. Or, or, or heavenly. Backslid. Yeah, you're exactly right, Mike. Backslidden from the Lord. I mean, he was, he was in idolatry. So he writes, I mean, Ecclesiastes is really a book that doesn't have much hope to it. So what, what Solomon says there in Ecclesiastes 9 5, he's wrong. He's not correct because so much of the Bible, the rest of the Bible tells us the opposite, that that we do exist. 
after this life is over, that there that we do have a memory and people have memory of us when this life is over and that we exist somewhere forever and and that we're cognitive. We, we know things uh, again when you read what Jesus had to say about the rich man of Lazarus in, in Luke 16. It was very clear that both Lazarus, the poor man and the rich man, both um, one in Abraham's bosom in a place of 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 you know, of, of safety, uh, the other in hell in torment. And they both were very conscious of, of, of what was going on on the earth, what was going on in, in, with them right then. And even worrying, the rich man was even worrying about his brothers not repenting and coming to that place. So we know from other scriptures that what Solomon says in that verse is not true. Um, so what, what he's doing there, he's giving you perspective, a perspective from someone who only has hope in this world alone. Now, let me say this real quick. What's interesting about that is when you, when you think about that, um, it was the, if you remember in the New Testament, there was a group of religious Jews or a group of Jews called the, called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees believed the same thing. The Sadducees did not believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in spirits, uh, angels, or demons, or any of that. And some people say that's why they were sad, you see. They had no hope. They had no hope for the future. And Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15, when he's discussing the issue of resurrection, uh, explaining to the Corinthians that if there is no resurrection, then our faith in Jesus is in vain because he didn't rise. And so he can't raise us either, but there is going to be a resurrection because Christ is risen. And he says this, that if we don't have that hope, then we're of all men most pitiable. And that's the, that's the state of life Solomon is in when he's writing Ecclesiastes. And there's, there's a, a phrase that Solomon uses almost 30 times in that book. And it's this phrase here, under the sun, under the sun. So what he's giving to you is perspective, a life perspective of someone who's without God and is only concerned about the earthly life, what happens under the sun as if God doesn't exist. So never, never establish your doctrine or your theology based on Ecclesiastes. Mike? No, and, and, and like I say, it, when you look at what it says, it gives you a perspective of wisdom from a, from a worldly perspective. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the great issues that we have to look at. This is a way that I believe when the Bible says there's a way that appears right into a man, but in the end there's death. I, I believe Ecclesiastes contains some of that because you find this wise man, Solomon, writing this book in a, in a backslidden condition that he was in, <laughs> giving his wisdom of what he perceived things to be without oftentimes God entering into it. Because we find many other things uh, uh, in Ecclesiastes that are just so kind of really out there. Um, one of them is, is in chapter 4, uh, verse 2. Therefore I praise the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive. Now here it is. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. He's saying it's better that you never live than to see what goes on in this world. This is the book that the Jehovah's Witnesses are quoting to you to get their doctrine? Really? Well, again, 
apart from a true living relationship with God, you know, the Bible does say that men are lost, and they're lost eternally. Oh, I don't think they don't know. Certainly the rich man in hell knew who he was. He knew he was in torment. He knew he was thirsty. He knew he had five brothers still living on this earth. He knew who Abraham was, and he knew who Lazarus was, and he still was in hell like he was on earth, ordering people around. Tell Lazarus to come over here, dip his finger in the water, and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in the flame. Really? Hey, buckaroo, have you noticed that you're in hell? You see, death seals us in the condition we're in. And if we die in a situation where we're in rebellion to Jesus, I believe we carry that with us throughout all of eternity. However, if you die in right standing with the Lord, great is your reward in heaven. And this is one of the things that I think is so important because, again, um, an unrepented heart carries that into eternity. Bob, I hope that helps. It sure did. Thank you very much. Uh, God bless you. And, and again, you know, you can, you can, um, uh, show them those verses, uh, Jarius's daughter, uh, in the book of Luke. Uh, you can, you can go to first Kings, uh, where, uh, Elijah raises the little boy. It says his spirit returned to him. Uh, in, in, uh, the book of Luke, her spirit returned to her. It does not say her spirit woke up inside of her. And this is one of the great fallacies, uh, of this. The second great fallacy, of course, that follows along with the Jehovah's Witnesses is there is no eternal hell. Yet the book of Jude clearly says they will suffer the vengeance of eternal fire forever. Hmm. So I guess when you just get one of their modified uh, Bibles, well, you're going to have our time negotiating, navigating through anything with that. Hope that helps. Sure does. Thank you very much. Stay in line. If you like, send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs. I think you'll enjoy. And with that, we'll go to Evan, Fairfield, Iowa. I welcome. Hi. Yes, I had a question about a sermon I listened to. Um, that was on the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. Uh, in verse 16, it reads, uh, For where there is a testament, there must also necessitate, uh, necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is in force uh, after uh, men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. And what the teaching was on was that the New Testament does not actually begin until after Jesus' death on the cross, that all of Jesus' teachings during the four Gospels are for the Jews only of that time period. And to rightly divide the New Testament, we're only supposed to listen to the teachings of Paul, which are for the Gentiles during the Church Age. And I... Uh, that just what blew my mind. I'd never heard anything like that before. Yeah, I would, I would wholeheartedly reject that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that Jesus did not only come, his primary w- was to the Jews, of course, but remember the, the, the other people that he ministered to, uh, that were not Jews. Uh, we remember the, the Roman centurion that says, my, I'm a man under authority. My servant is sick. You say the word. And he'll be healed. 
Jesus, I haven't found this kind of faith in all of Israel. We remember his remarks to the woman who uh, was requesting uh, a miracle from the Lord. And and we remember uh, he, he said, it's not right for me to give the 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 what I've come for to anybody else. And the woman says, well, even the little puppies get to eat the scraps from the table. She was willing to take anything. Uh, I, I, again, when we understand, um, God's eternal promise, I, I believe it's not hard to understand to say the teachings of Jesus are not applicable to the church today. Hmm. Um, my goodness. That, that's that that's park your lunar lander outside in the parking lot is all I can say there. <laughs> your your thoughts, God. Yeah, Evan, how about this? The apostle Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, wrote this in Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, when Paul says all scripture there, he's talking about the Old Testament because He's a Jew, and that's all the scripture there was at the time. They were, you know, Paul and the other apostles were in the process of being moved and led by the Spirit to write the New Testament. So when Paul says all scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament. And he says this, it's given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That tells us what is right. For reproof, that tells us what's wrong. For correction, that tells us how to get right. And instruction in righteousness, which tells us how to stay right. This is the Apostle Paul, a Jew who was sent to the Gentiles, and he's saying that the whole Old Testament, the, all the writings they had as Jews were profitable both for Jews and Gentiles. And then you have this question. If this man is correct in his assumptions, which we know is wrong, but if he's correct, then what about Peter? Peter left us two books, First Peter, Second Peter, but Peter was the apostle to the Jews. So I guess we shouldn't listen to him either because it's clear that he was appointed as an apostle to the Jewish people like Paul was to the, uh, to the Gentiles. So don't listen to that. That's nonsense. Everything Jesus said may not, every, not, let me say this. Everything that Jesus said may not, may not necessarily have been to us. There is a lot of stuff he said directly to the Jewish people. But everything in Scripture is, including Jesus' words and all of his words, are written for us, and we can benefit from them, and we need to take them seriously. Mike? Yeah, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's right. That would be a very scary verse to try to negate those things that Jesus said. That story about the little puppies, by the way, is Matthew fifteen twenty six through 28. And Jesus said, women, you have great faith. We're coming up on a break, everyone. We don't want you to go away. We're going to have a whole lot more coming up right after this. We'll be right back. If you are 65 or older, you know this. Watching your hard-earned dollars fly out the window on health care costs is frustrating. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills And it really is a community, too. People encourage and pray for each other. Well, MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. 
It's a great way to fight inflation, too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. And it's easy. You can use any Medicare-approved doctor or get 24-7 telehealth access from the comfort of your home. Very worth looking into during Medicare open enrollment, which ends December 7th. If you join right now, your second month share will be free. So don't miss this chance. Call 833-90-SHARE. That's 833-90-SHARE. 833-90-SHARE. I was like, oh, wow. When this young mom came into a preborn clinic, she was confused with nowhere to turn. After meeting with the preborn counselors and seeing her baby on ultrasound, she chose life. If I hadn't saw the ultrasound, it would have been a totally different picture. And I think about this when I look at my daughter, I start tearing up. She will never be here. <laughs> Preborn's network of clinics are there for moms in crisis, offering love, support, and free ultrasound. When a young mother in crisis meets her baby on ultrasound, life becomes very real. And 80% of the time, she will choose life. Through love and compassion, Preborn celebrates the over 200,000 babies' lives who have been rescued. To learn more about the life-saving work of Preborn, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome you back to part two of Every Minute Answer here on this Tuesday afternoon. And uh, once again, we have with us Scott Parker from Festus, Missouri, Calvary Chapel. And uh, again, Scott, I'm always so blessed when uh, we're able to be with you. Look forward to answering some more questions with you. Thank when you. we went to the break, we were speaking with Evan. And uh, again, with this guy that's saying that really uh, the teachings of Jesus really weren't for us, it's just the teachings of Paul. Uh, I mean, really, Scott, how ludicrous is that? That means Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21 concerning uh, Jerusalem going back under Jewish control in the last days, which we are in now. Um, uh, Jesus giving all the descriptions of what the world would be like before he takes his church home and the one world order and all these things are all not for us. I mean, crazy stuff. Your thoughts, Mike, I agree. I agree. And, and like I said earlier, you know, there were some things that Jesus said to the Jewish people in particularly that apply to them and them only. Okay. There's parts of that and that's true. But again, when it comes to all scripture, even in the Old Testament, there's a lot of promises made to the Jewish people that are not made to the Gentiles or the church. But here's what you have to remember, and this is the principle you go by. In the scriptures, even if not all things are written to us, they are written for us. We can still gain understanding and insight from them to help us live the Christian life. But as Mike said, there's so much of what Jesus said that applies to us. You know, I, I mean, what about servanthood, being a servant, putting other others people first and put our, putting ourselves last? I mean, there's so many things, you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is literally telling us what life is like in his kingdom. 
And he's saying, hey, here are the people who belong to my father. This is what, you know, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit to make us those kind of people. I mean, it's just ridiculous to say that Jesus was only speaking to the Jews. And so we have to listen to Paul and not Jesus. That's just, it's just heresy to me. Hardcore. I I agree. The minute that somebody says we don't have to listen to Jesus, Paul only, that's pure heresy. No yep. way around it. Jesus is the foundational stone of the church, not Paul. Now, Paul was inspired by God, wrote many things so helpful for us today. I believe what he wrote was scripture. However, to say that we don't listen to what Jesus said or his teachers were, teachings were only for the Jewish people, pure ridiculous. Mm-hmm. No other way around it. Hope that helps. Uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, he's even saying like the Sermon on the Mount. He said that was actually law because it was still the Old Testament. So like when he was talking about cutting off hands and eyes and stuff, that was him established, uh, you know, establishing law and explaining why the Jewish people would never uh, be able to fulfill that law. Uh, but you know, so what would, uh, how would you describe the meaning of Hebrews nine sixteen through eighteen? Then uh, what what does that testator death in New Testament verbiage mean? Well, it's it's like a will, mm-hmm. and and a will becomes becomes yours when the person dies. However, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, Hebrews thirteen eight, and because of that, Jesus in, in in lives in all times present. That's when when it says he's Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and the last. That's saying that, that he has no beginning, no end. When he died on the cross, that was for our sins. That was to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. But to say that what Jesus said in his earthly ministry is not for uh, uh, Gentiles or, for that matter, anybody else, that's crazy talk. Any last thoughts, Scott? Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because that, that word testator there, what it literally means is the one who made the 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 will. It's the person who writes the will. In, in, in fact, in the Greek, that word that's translated testator there in other places in the New Testament is translated as make or appoint. It's the person who writes a will and appoints Hey, I want this to go to that person and this to go to that person, you know, to give, to give their, their belongings as an inheritance to somebody. And that's what it's saying is, is it saying Jesus is the testator. And the fact that he died for us gives us the opportunity now through receiving salvation through faith in his death, burial and resurrection. We now become part of the uh, partakers in the will of God and the inheritance of Jesus Christ. Cause the Bible does say, you know, for instance, um, Romans chapter eight, Paul said that we're the children of God and that, that because of that, we have the Holy Spirit and we, we cry, Abba Father, calling God our Father and that we're children of God. And we're not only children, but we're heirs and we're joint heirs with Jesus. In other words, that means that Jesus is going to share his glory and his inheritance with all of us who believe in him and put faith in him. And for that to happen, he had to die for us to take part in his inheritance. And so that's what it's actually saying there. My- yeah, it, it, maybe another way to say it as well as this. Jesus said to love your enemies as yourself. Well, okay, great. Not a, no, no problem here until you try to do that. You see, we can't do that on our own. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, told us 
what we needed to do concerning our relationship with God. But without God and 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 his blood on the cross, his forgiveness and empowering by the Holy Spirit, we could never do those things. Jesus said a lot of things there in his teachings. And I look and I said, everything Jesus says is absolutely right. It is not within the power of man to do them. So when Jesus died on the cross, the Holy Spirit then, not only not only did Jesus' blood forgive us, but then the Holy Spirit was given to initiate so we could love our neighbor as ourselves. We could turn the other cheek. In ourselves, we can't do that. You can't do that even holding the Old Testament law. It's not within man to live righteously. We need a supernatural infusion of God's power in our life to be able to do that. And that came when Jesus died on the cross. So though the outline was clearly laid out before Jesus died on the cross, this is what God is. In fact, Jesus said this. He says, I, in John 12, I have kept my Father's requirements. You keep mine. Love one another. Well, friends, I'll tell you, that's the number one problem in the church today. Church splits happen in churches about as regularly as, you know, a new cereal comes out for your kids uh, in the morning. I, I mean, why? Because people don't love one another, even in the church. There's your problem. Because we don't live in the Spirit. If you live in the Spirit, you'll learn to forgive. You'll realize that I've been forgiven for, for so many things that I want to forgive others as well. Jesus said to love one another. That's, but we can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. But that was not given until Jesus died on the cross and he told them to go wait in the upper room and Pentecost at 50 days afterwards, that power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. And that is what we look for in a spirit-filled life. Not how loud you can scream in tongues, not how many chandeliers you can swing from, not how, how many people in a congregation can pray in tongues. The Bible tells us what really shows us that we're spirit-filled. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love. Love for God, love for the lost, which is not normal. <clears throat> I know many people that have said, yeah, you know, I, I know this guy and I'm a Christian and he's going to die and go to hell forever. Good. Well, you need a heavy dose of the Holy Spirit, pal. Because there by the grace of God go you. You see, the thing is, it's not within us to live holy. It's not within us to love. It's not within us to have a love for the lost. This is something God does. And then he gives us gifts. Yes, like tongues. Yes, like healing. Yes, like words of knowledge and all those other gifts that we find in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, and other places in the Bible where it talks about how God will do this. But those did not come at until Jesus died on the cross. Fifty days later, this is when the imparting of the Holy Spirit came. Hope that helps, Evan. Thank you very much. God bless you. Stay in line. Send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs I think you'll enjoy. With that, we'll go to Michelle, Fort Worth, Texas. Hi, welcome. Michelle, are you there? We're looking for Michelle. I guess not here. Okay. Um, Michelle, uh, you might have got disconnected. Call back, and uh, we'll come back to you. Otherwise, we'll go to Will. 
Ridgeway, Virginia. Hi, welcome. Hey, Mike. How are you? Good. How may we help? Man, I'm going to tell you the remarks you just gave, Evan, were just spot on. Just, it's, it was just, you know, my wife and I enjoy your program each and every night. Uh, and we do a little Bible study. And last night it was uh, beginning, and uh, she brought up something to me that we found in Genesis, um, verse 26, <clears throat> chapter 1, I'm sorry, uh, verse 26 and 27. In 26 it says, and God said, let us make man in our image, right? Mm-hmm. So on and so forth. Yes. In 27 it says, so God created man in his own image, right? In the image yep. of God, of course. And we want to know what is the difference between those two verses where in 26 it says us and uh, in 27 it says his. Oh, that's so good. I'm I'm glad you've been reading your Bible. You know, that that's good. If you go to Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It is interesting, the word for God there is Elohim, speaking of a triunity. Um, uh, and, and it is interesting to me that we are a trinity as well. Human beings are. We're a body, we're a mind, and we're spirit. Um, now, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree, their spirit died. They didn't fall down physically and died. That happened about 900 and some years later when they, when they died physically. But we're a, a triune being. You can talk to an alcoholic and you can say, do you know you're drinking or a drug addict? Do you know that these drugs, this alcohol is killing you? <clears throat> they will look at you in all sincerity and say, absolutely, I know it's killing me. Will you stop? No. Why? Because there's no spirit to tell the mind, to tell the body to stop. You see, this is why Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. You need that spirit of God born in you that died in the garden. Otherwise, you will never get control of your functions. So until a person is born again, they have a body, they have a mind, and they have a dead spirit that's going around in them. Is it any wonder when we see the nature of men with dead spirit, how they can do such atrocities to one another? It, it, it To me, I, I look at that and I go, wow. God there is speaking of his triunity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then the next verse speaks of the cum or the total he made us in his image. And I like that because, again, uh, somebody doesn't just re- refer to you or me or anybody else. Well, now there goes a good spirit, or there goes a good body, there goes a good mind. No, we they're referred to as a as a composite being, um, same way God is. But in that composite being, there are very different functions, yet all for the same purpose. And this is the way God operates. And so, right in the very first chapter of the Bible, you find the triunity of God mentioned in the word Elohim. Now, we had a caller a couple of weeks ago that said, well, you know, it may mean or it could mean, well, maybe it, it, it could mean that 
except when the rest of the Bible clarifies so clearly that the God we serve is Elohim, a, a, a triune God. And that's why we have to take Genesis 1-1, the word Elohim, as speaking of a plurality of God, not a singularity. And I believe this is why, uh, again, we're the way we are. Now, again, you can have a perfectly healthy body and want to commit suicide. Why? Your spirit's sick. See, your mind is sick. And that's why that happens. And so it's not until we become born again that God's Spirit dwells in us. Now, listen, if you feed the flesh, even as a Christian, the flesh is going to win. If you feed the Spirit, the Spirit's going to win. And I believe every day we have to figure out what and the reason why we live for. Are we living for the flesh or are we living for the Spirit? Scott, your thoughts. Exactly. And Mike, that's great. And we'll also, let me give you these scriptures too. In Genesis 11 and in Isaiah chapter 6, God is speaking about himself. And in both of those passages, he uses the word us. In Genesis 6 or in Genesis 11, he says, let us go down and confuse their language. And then in Isaiah chapter 6, he actually asks Isaiah, who will go for us? God's speaking to him. And so it's interesting because God is, as Mike said, God is introduced to us in Genesis 1-1 as one God who exists in more than one persons, literally three people. And we know that. Why? Because as we go through the scriptures, this is revealed to us. So here's one scripture I want to take you to real quick. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And this is what the Jews call the great Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word that means to hear. And God is saying to Israel about himself. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, here's what's interesting about that. That word one there is the Hebrew word echad. And the word echad means a unit. It means more than one making up one. It's a unity. And so, again, it's telling us that God is telling us himself that he's a plurality. He's one person, and but he's made up of three who's or three persons. And it's interesting in Deuteronomy 6, 4, that it uses God's name three times. It says, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. And so he's revealing right there to Israel that he's a trinity. And then, of course, when you come to the New Testament and Jesus is baptized in Matthew chapter 4, what you see is Jesus, the Son of God in flesh, is in the water. He's baptized, and as he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes upon him in the form of a dove. And then there's a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And in one verse, in one verse in that passage, you have the Trinity all mentioned in one verse, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And there's many more. There's many more you can go through in the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, that proves this. So when when God's saying there, let us make man, he's not speaking to the angels. He's speaking to himself. He's speaking. It's it's the, the Trinity speaking among themselves. And then in the next verse, when it speaks of God and says his, the reason it says his is because the Jews always in the Hebrew scriptures apply the male personal pronoun to God, never 
the female personal pronoun her. It's never. It's always his. So again, the reason it can say us in verse 26 is because God's a plurality. And the reason it can say his singular in the next verse is because he's one God. Mike? Amen. I, I hope that answers it for you. And again, he was not talking to the angels. I've heard this no. mistakenly being taught. Angels do not create. They are messengers. They are warriors. They are protectors in the Bible, but they're not creators. And I think this is extremely important that we understand. And then when you base it on the rest of the Bible, just as you did, Scott, just as we've been talking about, you come to an absolute fact that God has manifested himself in three personages. Will, I hope that helps. Oh, that was awesome. That was really awesome. It just it just hit a milestone for us. We, you know, it created a barrier right there, and we both had to stand there and just think about this. We're like, there's an explanation here, and I know, I know it is. And we listened to your program. I've never called into your program, and I was like, hey, it's a good time to call Mike and Scott. <laughs> you know. Hey, well, I'm glad you called in. I want to spend. I want especially because you have not called in before. I want to send you a. Uh, Special end times package, uh, Chuck Missler's Book of Revelation. I'll send that out to you as a gift. Merry Christmas to you. Oh, that's very awesome. Thank you so much, Mike and Scott. Well, blessings to you, and uh, we're here for you if you need to call us. Yeah. Let's go to Michelle. Back to Michelle. Thank you for calling back, Michelle. You're on the air. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Um, hi. I just want to say I appreciate your program and listen to it every day that I can. Um, but, uh, I had a really interesting conversation with the gentleman today. Um, I live really close to where Jeff's church is and there's a quite a large, uh, falling of, uh, Seventh-day Adventists. And, um, I don't know all the things they believe, but this gentleman was, and he was trying to tell me that we're in tribulation right now. And I know we're not. No, and we're not. And uh, so I was trying to share with him, and he was giving me verses in Daniel, and he was saying that people take Daniel's 70th week and we extract the seven years or something. I, I don't even know what he was talking about. And he said, that's not part of it. And I said, no. I said, it totally adds up, you know, the three and a half years, three and a half years. Uh, we just, we, I know you don't have a lot of time, but we went through each thing, and I got my Bible out and I um, on my phone, but I showed him some of the verses, and then he brought up something about uh, oh, it was weird. The Satan and the he's he's coming back as the as the light, and so anyway, I mean, I I don't I don't need to know that, but I want to know how to talk to him, and we made an agreement. I'll read his stuff if he reads mine. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll get you some stuff to you. I'll, because you've called in for the first time, I'll send you Chuck Missler's study of uh, Revelation as well. So you'll have that for uh, some, some great, um, uh, great resource there. No, we are absolutely in no way, shape, or form in the seven-year tribulation period. That is absolutely false. It's very clear. The rendering of of the Daniel chapter nine. 
In the 69th year, Messiah will be cut off. God's promises to Israel stopped and turned to the Gentiles. The Bible says he's going to return that last 70th week, that seven-year period of time, back to dealing with his nation of Israel. And that's why the tribulation is seven years long. And that is why we know what we know. Now, understanding Revelation then, the tribulation starts where there's a guy going out on a white horse, conquering into conquer. He has a bow with no arrows. He goes out initially to unite the world uh, with negotiating, uh, uh, being a diplomat, uh, bow with no arrows. When that doesn't completely bring the world into a one-world order, then the fiery red war horse goes out, followed by the the famine, followed by the deaths. One quarter of the world's population dies as the Antichrist tries to unite the world under a common flag. So the age of the dawning of Aquarius that we hear so much about, the Great Reset, is going to be the reset from hell. There is no way in the world this is going to end good. You're never going to have global peace without the Prince of Peace. And this is one of the great problems. The Seventh-day Adventists have a prophetess they call Ellen G. White. She's a false prophetess because of what she says. She says in Revelation chapter 13 that the mark of the beast is not a mark on your hand or on your forehead. That's just figuratively speaking of what you say and what you do. But the real mark of the beast is worshiping on Sunday. This is complete heresy. Paul says, don't let anybody judge you according to new moons and Sabbaths and all these kinds of things. And yet they do. Worshiping on Saturday is great. Worshiping on Sunday is great. And if you're a paramedic, your day off might be a Tuesday or a Wednesday or something else. Take a day off and enjoy what God's given you. But worshiping on Saturday does not do one single thing for your Christianity. Nothing. There is nothing that I do, any of us do, to generate any spirituality whatsoever. If worshiping on Saturday, if not eating pork, if I could keep the law, Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. Newsflash, Jesus did not die in vain. He died for a reason. We could not keep the law. The early church, Acts chapter 20, met on Sunday. It wasn't changed by the Catholics uh, or the Pope, uh, you know, or or uh, Constantine in uh, 325 AD. That's a myth, a rumor, and a lie. The early church in the Bible met on Sunday. Now, if you want to worship on Saturday, praise God, there's not a problem with that. Or Sunday. And again, if you're a paramedic, your day of worship might be Wednesday or Thursday. Thank God for the doctors that, and the police and the fire department that work on, on the weekends to scrape us all back up and put us back together in those days. Hey, we're out of time. Michelle, stay in line. I'll get that out to you. Scott, thanks so much for being on with us. And Steve Rest, please call us back tomorrow. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226. 
or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes Store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash TEMA. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 